thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna, and we have a returning guest, Anisha Marcille Keel. If you remember or were listening uh, way back when, she was our guest on episode 120, and we discussed her book, Discover the Healer Within. And that book was actually her second book that came out. Um, I believe, Anisha, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we are talking about um, her other book, Discovering the Medium Within. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. So, um, so welcome back. Thank you for having me, April. I really appreciate you having me on a second time. Yeah, we, I just remember loving our talk and I, I loved your, your book that I read and I loved the second one as well. Um, so I just really connect with, I think with your energy and just who you are as a person and your stories. And I see a little bit of myself in some of the work that you do as well. So I was excited to, uh, learn a bit, a little bit more about the, um, first book, discovering the medium within, and you kind of go through a lot of how, you know, this gift came to be in your childhood and uh, as always, I love the stories that you share in your books, um, and I'm hoping we can talk about some of those. And then also how uh, the gift of mediumship has also transferred over to your children as well. Yes. I, I, thank you so much for your nice comments, if I could digress for a second. I think sometimes when uh, we meet other souls that are frequency fit and they align with our vibration, it's very refreshing. And I do feel the same way about you, April. So. <laughs> It's, it's nice to see that you recognize that between us. Yeah. Yeah. So I was um, hoping you could start off uh, with people maybe who ha- aren't familiar with the book yet, but to talk a little bit about how this came to be for you when you were younger. Oh, well, I was always able to see spirits at a very young age, p- perhaps from the point of being a toddler, maybe even before that. Um, when I was very young, I always slept with a blanket over my head, actually, till I was in college. I'm embarrassed to admit, but it's true because it was my only way for blocking out the spirits that I would see. Um, So at night when it was time to go to bed, I didn't want to see anybody and I would see them. My clairvoyance was very acute. So I would see them like 3D people, just the way I would see regular human people walking around. Um, And I would see them everywhere. So when I would go to bed at night, I would want to shut that down. Um, It was very challenging for me because I was born into a family that's very religious and they also didn't have the same abilities. Um, And it wasn't until I got into high school and my father's mother had passed, my maternal grandmother had passed, and um, my father was looking for something in her house that was like a sort of a token of um, a memoir for her. And she told me where to find it in the house. Then my father became a believer because it was something that I would not have been able to find on my own. I didn't know its whereabouts. So then my parents kind of opened up a little bit, but that was when I was 17. So it was a little bit of a struggle growing up on my own with these abilities. Yeah. And one of the things that I loved uh, in the book, and it was an experience too, that happened to me. And I think, I think this was happening to me more in the 20s. I was always a pretty intuitive child um, as well and definitely had 
maybe felt more of a sense of spirits in my grandmother's house and things of that sort, maybe not seeing true apparitions, but, you know, playing with my imaginary, quote unquote, imaginary friends, but they were very real um, and always having that intuition. But it was in my 20s where I began waking up to different spirits being at the foot of my bed. And I remember one time it was like four doctors were working on me and another like woman just standing, you know, at my feet. And I truly believed like I would wake up extremely startled. I'd be screaming. My husband at the time would thought that like people were breaking into the house. Cause I, I mean, I was just like in a complete panic. I'm flailing my arms. I'm like trying to get these people away from me because they looked, um, so real. And I remember going to one of my healers and telling her about my experience. And she said, well, April, you know, you're very open right now. And all that you need to do is talk to them and tell them that you're sleeping. And now is not the time to visit. And when I got further along in your book, and um, I think it was after chapter six about like smudging the garage and kind of setting boundaries with spirits that I was like, yes, I had a teacher that taught me about that too. So um, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. And it's kind of a advancing a little bit more into the conversation rather quickly. But, um, you know, I think people who have uh, the experience or spirit, you know, likes to come in and connect because they see you as this, you know, light being that can communicate their message to others or need to be crossed over, um, that we do need to set boundaries with spirit, just like we have to set boundaries with people <laughs> in, in real life. So um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that experience and how you needed to do that and the certain rules that you came up with as well. Yeah, I, I, um, unfortunately for me, I guess because I do teach others, I didn't have a human teacher on the earth plane to teach me these things or anyone, anybody that I could go to. So uh, I was really navigating through this on my own and working with my spirit guides. Um, so we did have an earthbound entity that was in the garage, and that was one of the first experiences, and it is the chapter that you refer to, Smudging the Garage, where I couldn't get rid of the energy in the garage. And I asked my dad for help, which uh, for those of you who read the book, that wasn't really the idea. <laughs> he was useless, but um, you know, he was, my dad was freaking out. So um, it was good. He had a firsthand experience of a spirit and the spirit moving things. And I did learn to cross the spirit. But what I also learned when she said she was looking for help and she was trapped in darkness, I really didn't know what she was talking about. And she said, the only light I said, follow the light. You know, I'm not, I'm not really a professional medium. And at the time I really wasn't. And I said, why don't you follow the light? And she said, the only light is the light that I see around your house. And then I later learned from my spirit guides that people who are open to spirits and, um, energy, they emit a certain frequency that shows up as light. They emit a certain, uh, vibration and spirits are drawn to that. So when you start to open, like you were just talking about yourself opening up a little bit and spirits were showing up, they're not there to scare you. They're drawn to your energy. It's your energy that is pulling them toward you. Um, so later on in the book, I talk about how after I crossed that person, um, we also had all kinds of spirits showing up because I didn't know how to set boundaries. Well, when you don't set boundaries, your spirit guides basically let everybody in so that you will learn to set boundaries. So we had a very challenging time where 
no one was sleeping in the house because spirits were entering for whatever reason, two to 3 a.m. is like spirit time, you know, in the spirit world, that's go visit the human world. Um, But they were waking us up all the time, setting off smoke alarms, and they weren't doing it intentionally, but their frequencies were entering the space in the home and it was setting off uh, sound waves, light waves, lights were flickering on and off. It was just their frequency disrupting the existing frequencies. But it was enough to disturb everybody. So no one was sleeping, including Brayden when he was a little baby, and also the dogs. Um, so I learned with my spirit guides real quickly how to set some boundaries and s- set some rules. And after that point, I basically said that uh, no one is allowed in the house unless they're connected to us in this life uh, in spirit. So if we had a relative or someone close to us that was connected to to us or a spirit guide, they were allowed. Anybody else, complete strangers that needed help or needed a message delivered, that's not happening. You're not allowed in the house. So we set that with our guides to um, keep those energies out. I later developed uh, that boundary as well to say that unless I'm in my office, I do not want to be bombarded by spirits. There are mediums that uh, go out in public and they're picking up on spirit energy all the time. And that works for them. That doesn't work for me. My primary responsibility is to be a mother to my children. And when I'm at my son's baseball game, I need to be focused on my son playing baseball and being supportive of him and not picking up on so-and-so's grandfather that just died or, or whomever. I need to be present with my children. So I only engage with the spirits when it's necessary, and that's in my office. And it has really worked, but I had to learn that um, basically I had to get bombarded by the energy to know exactly what was acceptable and what was not acceptable for me. And do you find that um, spirits are very respectful of that or are there some that will kind of test the boundaries? No, I don't have any issues with it because it's my spirit team's job to enforce that. I have a gatekeeper spirit guide, which you've probably heard of. Uh, Most mediums have a primary spirit guide that controls the energy that's around you. So it's not something that I encounter. And then lower frequency energy that's um, earthbound, they wouldn't even be attracted to my frequency. You know, it would would, um, throw them off. So I don't really encounter that. Okay. No, I have. I've never heard of the gatekeeper before, actually. Maybe you could talk more about that. Yeah, we talk about spirit guides in a chapter at the latter part of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, spirit guides are people that are in spirit that were, in general, most of them were once human. We can also have spirit guides that are ascended masters or um, highly evolved beings, depending on where your frequency is. Okay, so not all spirit guides are human, we can have non-human spirit guides as well. Um, Angelic energies, sometimes an archangel may be working with someone through whatever they're working on in their life. But in general, our spirit team is composed of spirits that were once in human form. Uh, You do work with them for a variety of reasons. There are soul agreements between you and your spirit guides. They're assigned to you. It may have something to do with 
uh, the way that they died and it's connected to your life or the work that they did in their life that's connected to your life. There are all different variables that are included. You may also have some transitory guides that are helping you work through certain things. That's like where some of the ascended masters may come in. And then you have life guides that are with you for the duration of your life. So someone that starts on a healing journey and they start studying healing modalities and helping others, they may meet a specific guide that's guiding them in the work that they're doing for that healing journey. It may not have been with them their whole life, but it starts at a certain age and it will continue with them for the rest of their life in the work that they're doing. A gatekeeper guide is a guide that is assigned to someone that's open to um, of a higher frequency, someone whose abilities are open, and they're helping you um, basically regulate the energy that is around you. So for example, my one gatekeeper guide, I set the... Um, basic standards and boundaries with her for who's allowed, who's not allowed, who's allowed in the house, that kind of thing. And she was responsible for enforcing that. And she's still with me today. But I don't run into too many boundary issues because of that experience. Okay, great. That's great. I mean, some I've had in the past couple of years, more mediumship experiences with my clients through Reiki, um, you know, and healing. And so this is just like helpful for me too to maybe even make more of a connection with that or to, you know, go into meditation and just ask to be shown maybe who the gatekeeper is. Because I do feel a sense of that, but I've never really gone into specifically like get to know my guides on a on a more intimate level or personal level, like I can feel them, but that would be fun for me to play with a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes April, um, sometimes we have some issues where we're blocking the energy of the guides coming through completely because we may have some issues with worthiness, believing that we're actually worthy of doing all that work to its full capacity or hearing the information they're helping us with. So sometimes we have to clear some things in our solar plexus to allow more of that energy and the frequency to flow through. Mm. It could be overwhelming when you first kind of get into this work, too. you know, it's like, yeah. whoa, you know, and, and learning, you know, like you said, when to shut it off, when, when to have it on. Um, you know, I love the fact that you have that boundary to say, I'm going to be present. You know, it's like, you're also here on earth, you know, you have these beautiful children and you want to be present in their activities and not be taken away by, you know, that the other, uh, dimensions there per se. Right. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned a little bit earlier, just in case people aren't familiar uh, with the term earthbound spirit, can you describe the difference between uh, an earthbound spirit and maybe somebody who has crossed over fully? Sure. An earthbound spirit is someone that's stuck between dimensions and they're still connected to the earth. There can be a couple of scenarios for why that would happen. Um, perhaps they were murdered and their body isn't found. So there's still kind of some unresolved circumstances surrounding their passing. So they're staying to wait till that's um, resolved. Sometimes children can be earthbound if there's a parent that's energetically tying them to the earth and not ready to let go of that. Um, sometimes a, a child may stay here because they feel that they, even though they know they're supposed to cross, they'll stay to be supportive of the parent. Um, so that can be an issue. And sometimes there can just be unexpected circumstances, like if someone has a sudden passing and they don't even realize what happened, they can be stuck as well. We also sometimes have suicide people that are stuck to the earth plane um, and then also um Accidental substance abuse passings can also be stuck to the um, to the earth plane. 
depending mm -hmm. on uh, the level of the addiction, they may be attracted to the energy, the addictive energy, and not want to cross because of that. So we can have a lot of energies that even though they're discarnate, meaning they are not in a body, they're still stuck on the earth plane and they need some help getting across. And what would you say is, um, you know, if you are going to be working with some of those energies, um, you know, what is the best way to help them to cross? Do you have a specific method that, that you use? Yes, we talk about it in the book. Um, before we engage with any energies, we want to shield ourselves, even humans, we want to shield <laughs> ourselves, because we don't want to pick up the um, imprints. And especially if someone died in a very um, tragic way, or the energy was very heavy, or if there's substances involved, substance abuse issues involved, we don't want to feel those imprints. Uh, clairsentient and empathic people can feel that when that energy is present. So the first thing you want to do is shield yourself, whether it's bubbling yourself or putting yourself in a shower of light. You want to shield your own field so that you're present in your own energy and you're not taking any imprints from whoever that, that you're connecting to. Then you're going to call in your spirit team to also shield the space that you're working in. So there's no residual imprints that's left that are left over. And then you're going to just um, ask that that energy follow the light and you ask your guides to also help in the process. At some point when you start doing it, you won't need um, to ask your guides and a lot of energies to help. But in the beginning, you do want to ask for assistance just so you have a security level with it um, on your own. And then you're going to ask them to help assist this energy, get it across, send it to the light where it can be handled for its highest intentions, whatever it needs to do. Maybe it needs to go to a healing place. Maybe it needs to go to a transitory area or go right into the spirit world. That's not of our concern, but we just want to get them off the earth plane because some of us will be able to perceive them the people that are at a higher frequency that can see and hear those spirits. But for most people, they're not going to know that they're there and they're going to be stuck because they're not in the spirit world and they're technically not in the human world either. So they're mm -hmm. just kind of stuck. So we want to help them get across. Um, as we're talking about this, this is another thing that comes up. Um, I don't watch the ghost kind of adventure stories or that kind of thing, but I know of them and people, you know, like ghost hunting and things like that. A lot mm -hmm. of those energies need to be crossed. It's, it's great that, you know, we can see them and demonstrate that they're there, but if we're aware of them, we do have a responsibility to assist them in a loving way and help them get across to where they need to be. That's mm -hmm. a responsible thing to do as a person that's working with energy. Yeah, thank you for saying that. Um, I also was hoping that we could talk a little bit um, uh, with some stories that you have of somebody that you worked with that you mentioned in the book, John, um, yeah. because there are just some really great and wonderful examples of how spirit can communicate through different things. And I just got a kick out of the um, the toy camera that he would use. Yeah. And, um <laughs> You know, and, and I know that I've had some personal experiences, too, of spirit kind of communicating through fans, uh, radios would turn on, uh, televisions, and things of that sort. And I also loved um, how John would also communicate through email and numbers. So I was hoping you can bring us a little bit through that story of John, because I think it gives, um, I don't know, just kind of hope and validation that there, that there really is something going on on the other side and that they can communicate to us. Yeah, John Budney was really um, w probably one of the most dynamic people that I ever met. And honestly, I think I was in telecom because I was supposed to meet John because he was he had a profound 
part in my life. And I met him right as the company I was working for got purchased by the company that he was working for. And then I left the company right after John died. So it was kind of like we were just there for each other. I really believe that. Um, he helped me tremendously. And he was a person that everybody loved because he was a really funny guy, which and he was the same in spirit. So um, but when he was passing of cancer, he um you know, he mentioned that he had cancer. At first, they didn't believe him because they thought he was teasing me because he was a big jokester. But he really did have a, a pretty uh, serious form of cancer. And it wound up taking his life at a very young age. And he left behind his beautiful wife, Kitty, and her and their two children. Um, but after he passed, and I had never discussed this, but I did send it to him um, when he was dying of cancer, I just sent some telepathic messages to him. And I just said, you know, let me know that you're okay. When, you know, when you get to where you need to go, let me know that you're okay. Well, John <laughs> took that as, you know, that was a real open door for him to get messages to everybody. And he became basically a spiritual stalker. <laughs> so <laughs> he would make, wake me up in the middle of the night. I mean, there's a couple chapters where we talk about the things, but one of the things he did Directly after his passing, I had just received an email from our CEO that um, it went all, went to all the management that John had passed um, at the hospital. And I just sent him a message that said, if, if you're okay, just let me know. And there was a little Fisher-Price toy camera that uh, was Braden's, because Braden was a baby at the time. And it was on the kitchen table. And it went off by itself, the little um, button depressed, and it made like the little flash noise. And I thought it was strange. And then I realized it's probably him. So I said, John, if that's you, do that again. And he did it again. <laughs> so he did it like three times, you know. And then I thought, okay, we, we got a good thing going here. And I said, if you need anything, let me know. Big mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> because trust me, he let me know. So one of the most beautiful things that happened um, was that we had this guy, Ricky Shore, that um, – you know, lived up in Long Island, but was an agent, you know, in the agent division with us, a real funny guy. And he had said to me, you know, if, if you hear from John, you tell him I want to sign, tell him I want to sign with a picture, you know? So I, you know, of course I would talk to John and just a few of us knew that I could do this with John, but I had given a message to his wife and a couple other guys that I worked with. So I uh, gave John the message, you know, I don't know how long it went by, but maybe a week or so, um, my email opened up, all his emails opened up, John's emails, which, you know, he was gone, but they somehow opened and he sent me a number, you know, a message with a number in it. And I was like, okay, you got my attention. What is it that you want? And he, I heard him say, ask Ricky if he got his message, ask him if he got his sign. And I said, I don't really want to do this. This is weird. Like, not everybody knows I'm a medium. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. Because I really was afraid of that at, at that point. You know, my book wasn't out yet. Not a lot of people knew what, what my abilities were. And he said, ask him. So I sent a message to the guy, Ricky. I didn't know where he was. I figured he was working. I was in the office. And I said, did you get your sign? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, did you get a sign from John with a picture? <laughs> and he said to call him, you know. So I call him and he says, do you know where I am? And I'm like, no, I don't know where you are. What? 
And he said, <laughs> I'm in Manhattan. I just walked out of, you know, an agent's office because we had these sub agents that sold telecom services for us. And Ricky was a manager in that division. So he said, I just left left the sub agent's office and he handed me a plaque with John's picture on it. And it was a thing about friendship. And he had made it up for me because he knew I was so upset about John dying. And I just walked out of the office and I just got your message. Your I text. I'm reading your text as soon as I'm walking out. I'm standing on the street corner. I'm shaking. He's like, I am shaking right now. So I said, well, I guess you got your sign. Yeah. John did a lot of special little things like that to help people heal. But that's that's how great he was. I mean, we worked at a startup. Um, a startup telecom company and we were all very close. Everybody knew each other. We came from two or three different companies and um, it was just a way that he helped everybody heal. Yeah. And did his energy slowly like begin to fade a little bit from you? Like it almost feels like he had a bit of a mission to make sure that he was communicating, you know, with each person uh, through you so that they could bring some healing. And I'm sure that you can always connect to him anytime that you need to or want to. But is he still very active like that or not as much? Not as much. And I think his his mission was twofold. Number one, he had to help so many people because he was a big part of the company and, and we were all very connected. But also he was like the first non-family member that I helped and he helped me open up. John was a really big part of why I accepted my abilities. So I think that was a big part of it as well. Um, occasionally I'll get information from him, but not as much. Cause I think his job with regard to that was kind of done. He served the purpose. Right. Um, and how, like personally through your journey, when these, when you were first starting out and some of these things were happening, how were you able to really determine like, uh, what was real? Like, okay, I know that this is a clear message. I'm not making this up in my head compared to feeling like you were making things up or it couldn't possibly be true. Like, how do you begin to really gain that confidence? Like you were talking about with clearing out that the stomach chakra and just feeling that you're worthy to be able to do this work. And how do you really begin to tell the difference between, uh, what is really coming through and just either your imagination or the ego? Right. And that's a legit issue, I think, for anybody that gets involved and embraces their abilities a little bit more. The ego is always in the corner telling you, oh, you're getting it wrong. Don't tell anybody. They're going to judge you. You know, that's a real thing. Um, and it's triggered by projections from our our lives, you know, that, that we're raised with insecurities and things like that. So it does take solar plexus work for you to manually work on your solar plexus and clear the energy out. But also at some point, you just learn that it's not about you and it's not about being wrong or right. You're just the conduit. So just get yourself out of the way and just deliver the message without censoring it. That's that comes with a comfort level. And I think a trust. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, one, one of my teachers, um, that I would just want to share with our listeners too, because I always found it to be very helpful is that she said, you know, sometimes, uh, in this training that we had, she said, you guys, as the healers, as the mediums, you know, whatever it is that we're doing with the clients at the time, you don't necessarily need to make sense of it. She said, but if you share the information or the metaphors or the pictures and you let your clients know, your clients will know exactly what it is and you allow the clients to make sense of it as opposed to having the pressure on ourselves to try to make sense of what's going on for the clients, if that makes sense to you. 
Exactly. That's exactly correct. You just let the information be what it is and you detach from it. Right. Yeah. And the thing you were just saying about symbols and, um, and the like, I never really received information symbolically. It was always very specific and, um, through the clear audience. So symbols and like the lexicons that a lot of, um, mediums use, it didn't really resonate with me. It was more just clear messages that never really meant anything for me. So I would just deliver things the way that I heard them. And even in my healing sessions today with my clients, I always deliver the information exactly in the tone and inflection that I hear because that is validatable for the person on the table. Mm. Where like this, if the spirits are coming through, it's like their personality comes through. Yes. And yeah. that's, not that they have the personality, but it's just coming through because it's validatable for the person that's on the table. Right. And, you know, this might be a good time, too, to just quickly review the different types of um, intuition. Like you said, that you are more um, auditory, like you would get direct stuff, maybe somebody that's more visual. Um, you would see things in more metaphors or pictures. So for our listeners, can you just review, because you have this in the book as well, the different types of uh, intuitive ability? Sure. We talk about the five C's that mediums use. There's um, clairvoyance, which is located in the third eye or the brow, ch brow chakra. That means clear seeing, seeing the truth in things, but it can also be seeing non-tangible, non-human things, um, seeing energy. The next one down in the throat chakra, we actually have three of the psychic senses there, um, which is uh, clairvoyance, I'm sorry, clairaudience which is um, the ability to communicate telepathically, uh, communicating through thoughts. We have clairgustience, which is the ability to taste things from spirit. So when someone says, whenever my grandmother's around, I, hear, I uh, taste peppermint or something like that, even though there's no physical peppermint present, that's clairgustience. And clairscent, the ability to smell things from spirit. Um, so with Claire scent, you're smelling like flowers or you may smell cigarette smoke if someone was a smoker. Those things are not physically present, but the energy of it is present because it's discernible for the person that's in spirit. And then further down at the sacral chakra, we have clairsentience, which is the ability to feel emotion and energy um, in a non-physical way, basically, in a in a way um, that it's not physically present. So if someone had uh, maybe a depression issue and their energy comes through to you, you may feel very sad all of a sudden or feel overwhelmed or feel that heaviness. And then we have clear tangency that we mentioned in the book, which is um, using the hand chakras to pick up energy and imprints. Um, so with clear tangency, we can feel things. We can feel impressions. There's something called psychometry that's an ability uh, where you're holding an object and you can pick up on the energy and imprints of the person that's connected to the object. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Um, and, and I also wanted to spend some time on our interview, um, for parents who are listening that might have children that are beginning to show or develop this ability early on, because, you know, here you are as a mom, um, who 
began to kind of come into her own um, intuitiveness. And I know your children also helped to inspire that for you to take your gift even more seriously. But uh, you also have children who also share the gift. So I was hoping you can talk to the parents who are listening that are noticing this in their children and whether the parents are or are not intuitive themselves or have that developed. Um, you know, what do you do with a child that's beginning to uh, see spirits and have intuition and psychic ability? Sure. There's a direct correlation to our psychic abilities and mediumship abilities kicking in and the frequency with which we are vibrating at. So children that are very psychically open are born at a higher frequency than maybe some other people. That's really the only difference. People that develop their abilities over time, they're shifting their frequency to a higher level and they're opening more. So the concept of, you know, someone has psychic abilities, but someone can never have them. Everybody has the ability to develop their abilities or their psychic skills. They just need to open themselves and shift things out of the way. So kids that are open, they're meant to be open. They're born of a higher frequency than the average person. They can have parents that are at that frequency, or they may be teaching those parents to open up. Mm. But in general, what we can do when those children are open is allow them to be themselves. That's the biggest gift you can give them. Don't squelch them. Don't try to change them. Allow them. Nurture them. Give them what they need. You can teach them how to shield themselves. You can teach them how to protect their energy. You can teach them how to align their shield, their fields. But aside from that, let them be themselves. Don't try to change them. Don't tell them that it's wrong. And, and what are some more of those like supportive things? Um, like maybe you can even give a couple of examples with, um, you know, your children. Like what what are those kind of keywords or phrases to help support a child that is beginning to talk about? some of these things that they're seeing or experiencing? Sure, April. Um, I was going to say that we have an old soul group uh, in New Jersey, and it's basically a bunch of children that are very sensitive and aware, um, and they come together. I hold free workshops for them every year, like every couple of months we try to do it, but at least two times a year we get them together and we go over different things. Like last year we did a thing at the Bay and I was teaching them to align their energy with the water grid and how they can pull energy from the grid that's over the water and how they can release energy, but they're very aware. And when we had our first meeting, uh, it was really for the parents. I put together a manual for the parents to try to help them assist these children because a lot of the kids were not comfortable talking about their abilities because they knew they were a little bit different. So as soon as we got into the uh, conference room, I said, how many people here can see spirits? And all the kids raised their hands. And then I said, <laughs> how many of you can talk to spirits? And all of them raised their hands. And I said, how many people can feel energy from others or energy of places? They all raised their hands. And I said, okay, you're all the same. So it's safe to be yourselves. Go for it. Let's talk. And then they felt good and they just opened up and it was like safe for them to be themselves. So I think the main thing is to provide a real safe environment. Don't judge them. Let them know that it's okay what they're seeing and feeling, and then go over a few things. Do you have concerns about it? Do you feel overwhelmed by people? If they feel overwhelmed, 
they need to shield or as a parent, you need to shield them until they're old enough to shield themselves and then teach them about the chakras. There's some books out there that you can get um, or you can look online and just pull some articles, but just give them the information. And a lot of times when you're giving them the information, they may already know it. Because these are, um, when we talk about old souls, these are kids that have access to information that is beyond their years. So an eight-year-old can have a very highly existential existential conversation with you that maybe a 30-year-old would have. They bring this wisdom with them. They understand karma. They're not subjected to the spiritual amnesia that most of us were subject to. They're aware of karma. They come right through. They do what they need to do. And they're aware that they're here to change the earth. That's the main thing. All these old souls, these very spiritually aware children, they're here to change the frequency of the earth collectively. And you also gave a really nice example in the book when your son was scared at night and you placed the bubble around him and you talked about how you guys change the color each night. I would love for you to share that. Sure. When Breedon was little... Um, I knew at a very young age, he was a little over two, I knew that he had the same abilities as me. And we talk about it in the book where he could see the spirits and he could feel them and he could communicate with them. But sometimes at night, he would feel energy around him and it would make him feel uncomfortable. So part of our nighttime ritual, we would tell a story and then we would put a bubble around him every night and we would do it together and we would change the color depending on whatever color he wanted it to be, whatever color energy made him feel safe. And we would put that bubble around him and he would be safe in his bubble and nobody's energy was getting in that bubble. Essentially, we're bumping up the aura, but to a little child, that's a nice, gentle way to do it. And we have that exercise for people that do have children with this experience. We have a YouTube exercise on my YouTube channel. Um, You can get to it right on my homepage and it's the bubble up exercise and you can listen to it or you can watch it because a lady is sitting on the beach and there's this bubble that comes over her. So there's the visual part as well, but it is a really basic technique to shield the energetic field. And it's very comforting for children. Yeah. I, I love that. And, you know, it also made me wonder because many children at some point are afraid of the dark, right? Or they run into their room or there's monsters under the bed or something in the closet. And how much of that would you say is really like children experiencing, you know, spirits that are just around and being able to see that as opposed to quote unquote monsters? I think it's a very, uh, legitimate issue that's often overlooked by people because we're so stuck on the earth and our frequency is so earthbound that we're not thinking it could be a family member coming to visit them. But because the child doesn't recognize that energy, they're frightened by it. Mm-hmm. And as the parents, they're so busy with everything else, they're not thinking of that. So it's it's a real issue. I do believe a lot of that has to do with children feeling the energy. Yeah, I, I would agree, too. And, you know, sometimes I recommend to, um, you know, parents to to like teach children either about sage or, you know, doing kind of those bubbling techniques, you know, ways to kind of bring safety and security into the child's bedroom so their bedroom can feel safe. You know, m- many children will feel unsafe and, you know, run into the parents room and sleep with the parents, you know, and uh, not saying that that's a bad thing or anything like that. But, you know, how do you create that environment where if there is some spirit activity, 
activity or the child is very sensitive, that you're teaching them at a young age to take control of that, to protect their energy, but also showing that as the adults that you're able to do that. And sometimes with ceremony, um, you know, with, with using different techniques like sage or, or things of that sort, that it can help to just not scare the child, but I think in a way empowering and making them feel a little more settled, like, okay, we're taking control of our bedroom now. Right. And that's a really key word that you just mentioned, empowering, because by teaching the children about energy at a young age, you're empowering them to be in charge of their own fields. It's a vital thing because I wasn't raised that way, but my children are raised that way. And I hope that other children that come after them will be raised that way. And how old are your kids now? Brayden is 15 and Brielle is nine. And, and are they still uh, using their intuition? Has it shut down at all? Or do you find that they're, they've really embraced it and bring it into their lives? No, they, uh, I have a funny story for you. No, they embrace it. it it's every day. It's just who we are. So that's uh-huh. how we live. The other day, um, Braden was coming home from a baseball game and um, they were hitting some traffic. He's in the car with his dad. And so Briella was at my office when my client arrived, which she normally isn't. So the wife of the client, she came in and Briella was real friendly and she was kind of hanging out in the office with us in the reception area. And then the husband came in and he was really struggling with some very heavy issues. And as soon as he sat down, Briella said, I'm going to go wait in the lobby. (laughs) And she left. (laughs) And um, the funny part was when during the the healing session, the son um, who was in spirit, he said, Daddy scared that that little girl because his energy is so bad. This is why you need to heal yourself. You know, so he was teasing his dad. And then when I came home, you know, they thought it was funny. But then when I came home, Briella said, how was work? And I said, well, it was okay." And she said, that man's energy was terrible. That's why I left the room. (laughs) So and then I and then I called his wife the next day and we were like joking about it. But um, but she's very aware. They're very aware. Like, for for example, we have to go to Denmark in. the fall because it's part of the uh, Danish translations of discovering the healer within. It just came out and there's like some book events and stuff that we're going to be doing in Copenhagen. And my kids are not huge on flying because we're trapped with other people's energy. So we always have aromatherapy with us. We always have to bubble. We have our tools. So now we're going to Denmark and that's like a nine hour flight. And Braden said, mom, you better make sure you have everything. I mean, that is a really long flight. (laughs) We're good. We're good. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations with that. That's wonderful. Thank you. It's very exciting. Yeah. Um, And as I know that we're, we have to wrap up in a little bit here, but um, I know too, you know, I think one of the reasons why I connect uh, with you as well is that you do have that background in Reiki and energetic healing. And I loved a part in the book where you kind of talked about um, how, and I, I find this in my practice too, that we can, I think Reiki can open up a door to many things, but then once you really kind of get more involved in this, it becomes almost like a life of its own. It's really, it's really hard to explain how uh, Reiki can evolve into energy healing and clearings in much different ways. I'm just wondering if you wanted to talk about that. Sure. Um, for me, Reiki was uh, the rudimentary step in energy healing. I didn't know anything about it. I had a dog that was sick. My cousin was uh, doing attunements. I had a bunch of cousins that had studied it, but I really didn't know anything about it. So I just kind of studied it so that I could help my dog, or at least I thought that's why I was doing it. Um, 
and I never had an intention of teaching it or really doing much with it other than working on myself and my family. And that evolved differently as well. Um, so I did some, some healing sessions with family members, but then I also saw that when I was doing the Reiki spirits were always present. There was energy clearing between people on the earth plane and people in the spirit world. And it just kind of evolved into something very different. And as you know, from our last interview, the, the things that I work on are completely different. We're working on birth blueprints. We're working on soul paths where, Sometimes we're doing Merkaba energy. Um, it really depends, but we're doing really intense shifting and a lot of frequency upgrades. So I think that Reiki can open a door for people. And if they're meant to do healing work, some of them may transcend into something very different depending on where they need to be. Mm, yes, exactly. I would agree. And, you know, the other thing that I love about this book, too, is you give a lot of different exercises towards the end um, of discovering the medium within. And I was wondering, because we don't have time to talk about all of them, but if you would like to maybe choose one of those that you have in your book that you feel would be a really great takeaway for our listeners. Yeah, I think we should do the, um, it's a really quick one, the shower of light. It's absolutely my favorite um, exercise for shielding, Okay. Uh, even more so than the bubble up exercise, but we can always do the bubble up if you want to afterwards. But the shower of light is one that I use um, before I go in public places. Like I have an event in Manhattan uh, next month. Um, and the city is always a challenge because there's so much energy in such a concentrated area. And of course, not all of it is good. So I always have to really shield myself before I go into the city because it's um, overwhelming. But also we should be shielding ourselves before we leave our houses anyway. I mean, I shield myself in the work that I do always before working with a client and then ending with the client. But if you're going into populated spaces, you should shield yourself regularly so that you're not picking up on energy and imprints of the environment or the people that you're encountering. So the shower of light is a very basic visualization exercise, and we can just step through this together. So you just want to close your eyes and just kind of settle your breathing and breathe into the count of three and then out to the count of three. And once again, breathe into the count of three and out to the count of three. And using your mind, just envision showers of white light. And it doesn't have to be white. It can be any other color that you'd like. But just see that beautiful light cascading down from the sky all around you. And allow this brilliant rain of light to fall gently and illuminate all aspects of your being. See it brightly coloring you inside and out. And watch as the light pools all around your feet. Feel the sense of protection the light carries in it. And know that in this light, you are loved and you are safe. 
And when you are ready, open your eyes. Oh, thank you. That was nice. <laughs> so it takes like 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's what I love about simple exercises like that. And when you take somebody through it is to see that it can be that quick, you know, it's not like you have to go through this whole long process before you leave the house. It's just, you know, a few, a few seconds, few couple of moments, seeing that come over you and, you know, stating that intention and that's it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So simple yet so profound. It makes a huge shift. Like you, physically can feel your energy shifting and settling. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, I loved our talk and I'm sorry that it's coming to an end. I do. I think you have another book coming. I think you're going to do something with kids. You're going to write about kids. I think there, yeah, there is one down the road for old souls. I think the children and I are still working on the details because <laughs> we're still yeah. working through everything, you know? <laughs> That's what I, that's what I feel. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, midway here in our conversation, it was like, get her to talk about this. Come on. And I'm like, Ooh, this is good stuff. I just, I have a feeling that, yep, you're, there's going to be a book out there from you about this. Definitely. 100%. Yes, there will be, I'm sure a book about old souls because not only with my own children, but I work with a lot of other people's children, like that old soul group we have, it's constantly expanding. There are so many children, on the earth plane that are at a higher frequency and they need the tools and their parents need the tools to help support them in the journey. Yes. Yes. I totally agree. Um, and do you want to share, um, any other events that you are doing, uh, with people? Sure. Um, of course I'm always available for sessions at my office, which if people are interested in that, you can just go to my website at www.anishakeel.com. And you can fill out the contact form there and fill out your appointment preferences, and then we'll get you a session time right away. And then I'm also teaching a workshop. It's a Discovering the Healer Within self-healing workshop. It's an intuitive self-healing workshop uh, at the Open Center in New York City on the 16th of June. And then I will also be teaching another workshop in, uh, I think it's the... The 19th of August, I'll be teaching a workshop in Tom's River. That's a basic uh, healing, self-healing workshop. And then I will be in Denmark um, the beginning of November of this year. And I'll be doing uh, a couple of workshops, some lectures. I'll be at the Mystical Universe, uh, which is an event in Copenhagen. It's a trade show. And then I am also going to be setting up some book events while I'm there. Wonderful. Well, much luck to you. I love the work that you do in the world and we'll probably have you back on again. But uh, thank you so much, Anisha, for being a wonderful guest as always. Thank you. I appreciate the time, April, and keep doing the work you're doing. You're doing great. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.